Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor support in the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you are in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. Psychomedy. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a degree I definitely remember every single word of and gives a massive amount of credibility to me discussing the psychology of stand-up comedy with today's very special guest, the utterly brilliant, a.k.a. Marcel Lucon. It's Alexis Dubas. Alexis. Hello. Hello. All right. So as normal on Psychomedy, we won't be looking at each other for the duration of the chat. Alexis is relaxing here in my house with his feet up but his socks on which if you've seen Marcel's work is a rare treat <laughs> to see him without his feet out seems rude to do it in another man's domain <laughs> so Alexis how are you feeling today well I'm feeling I'm feeling fine I, I also studied psychology many mm. years ago uh, psychology and philosophy was my degree yes. and again <laughs> that'd been a roundabout way to comedy yeah yeah do you do you Remember that degree, maybe more than I do? Did you enjoy it? Vaguely. I, I did enjoy it, yeah, but I don't think... It was quite evident that, that I was never going to use it in a professional capacity quite early on, I think. It, <laughs> it was, there were a lot of other distractions at university, so... Yeah. Was that of, comedy mainly at university? It, yeah, yeah, comedy and cabaret and, 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 and drama and, um, mm. and drinking and drugs and, <laughs> and, and other things. That's and, studying psychology in a way. You know, yeah. So, you know... There, there were, yeah, many distractions. And, and basically, uh, yeah, I found the philosophy side a lot more interesting. The, the psychology side I found too scientific for my brain. I'm a, I'm a waffler mm. rather than a, a, a notator, I think, or a, or a, a delver. Mm. So, I, yeah, I found that a bit more uh, interesting, I suppose. But, I, yeah, and the, and the comedy thing, yeah, I just, I, in my second year there, a bunch of us started doing sketch comedy and went up to Edinburgh Festival for the first time in 99. Mm. And um, it all sort of went from there, really. Yeah. And from you then ever... on, I was like, well, unfortunately, philosophy and psychology are taking a bit <laughs> of a backseat. But do you ever dip back into it in terms of what you learn, even maybe without knowing it at the time? Do you dip back into philosophy? I think so, think a little it's... bit. Well, I've, I very much enjoy... I still read... Um, uh, sort of philosophy books and and um, more so than psychology books, I would say. But the mm. you know, but occasional scientific journals about psychology fascinate me. And the, and the brain, I did a my first show was about the history of swearing, 
Yeah. So I uh, used a lot of kind of um, parapsychology, not parapsychology, no, I used a lot of kind of, um, I, I used various sort of bits from my psychology degree in that, I suppose, and, you know, what the, the social psychology side of it, and of course the, uh, you know, the, the actual physical uh, side of it as well, you know, the bits of the brain that make us, that, that create swear words and, uh, yeah, the sort of, that, yeah, that, that was kind of an interesting part of that show, I suppose, the, the how and the why mm. of, of, of cursing. Yeah, well, all your shows are very interesting and experimental, and we'll get onto that in a bit. Um, so let's, let's cover your comedy career briefly before we delve right in to your mind. Um, so in terms of the character, Marcel, the car you've been doing that for 10 years ish um for those that haven't seen him can we maybe hear a bit from him perhaps today sure describing who he is oh i thought you were going to play a clip <laughs> oh, no. you genuinely want me to do it you want me to, oh, you want me to switch we're really we're sort of really going into the jekyll and hyde uh, sort of psychology now are we? uh so is there my... a jekyll and hyde is there a do you have to well you i think it easy to switch or? i think yeah i find it very easy to switch yeah. now i used to kind of pace up and down backstage going boom, 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 <laughs> doing little kind of uh, affectations and that kind of thing now it's uh, good you can march it like that quite easily, and it's uh, it's quite cathartic, I suppose. Like I, I mm. think people who have seen me do Marcel and not met me beforehand, I think find it almost disconcerting that I'm actually quite chilled and, a, a, and, a, and an all right person, <laughs> and not a dick. Well, I hope, but uh, yeah, it's I, I think it's I think it is a form of catharsis of just kind of getting out all of that sort of. Um, uh, you know, the, well, the, the French side of me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so again, for those who haven't seen it, either as Marcel or as yourself, um, which is which, we don't know. But um, can you tell us a little bit about the character for those that maybe haven't seen it? I'm sure everyone has seen it. but uh, no, I'm sure everyone has. Yeah, no, the, uh, <laughs> if you haven't, you come and you've had 10 years. Uh, no, the, um, uh, it's, it's what I think the British love to hate about the French. <laughs> so it's the insouciance, sort of slightly a womanizing type character, louche, mm. um, renaissance man kind of thing, and uh, a know-it-all, and a flaneur is, is, is what I use to describe him because it's that beautiful French word that cannot really be translated. Yeah. Someone who strolls, writes and observes and ponces about Paris probably with some sort of scarf. And, uh, you know, roll neck and mostly in black and just kind of cocking a wry eye at society in the world. Yeah. So we mentioned Jekyll and Hyde there. Do you, do you think differently when you're talking as uh, Marcel or is that... Uh... Yeah, very much. Yeah. It's kind of, it's it's that lovely thing of putting on the mask mm. and being the villain and, and um, you know, sort of operating on those certain parameters mm. that if something is thrown to me by an audience member my brain instinctively then knows how to uh, react to that as Marcel and I fully yeah I fully inhabit the character when I'm yeah. on stage because that's the fun that's 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 where the the game is so I've heard you in another interview saying you started doing gigs as Marcel as your soul wasn't getting fed by doing gigs as yourself um, don't know whether you remember saying that. Oh, it sounds but, like the sort of thing I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, <laughs> yeah I think, can you um, expand upon that a bit more in terms of uh, what what do you uh, what do you mean when you say soul? And... <laughs> <laughs> oh, now we're getting existential. <laughs> so this is what I came here for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, 
comedy is easy to do averagely. <laughs> it's you can pick up the tropes and you can you know it's it's quite quite often you'll see a new act that is confident and has obviously been watching a lot of stand up and they've picked up the tropes and they 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 know the rule of 3 and they know the delivery you know they know mm. how to do that and that's actually sort of remarkably easy to do if you have the confidence to do it mm. and to to actually find your voice is a whole different thing and to do something that you actually find interesting yourself and that you, and that, that is interesting to a, a comedy savvy audience I think that's a whole different thing and people spend years trying to find that voice and you know I was I suppose I was guilty of just doing you know watching comics and going oh that's how it's done and I've constructed a joke and it's technically a good joke and and, and you know and as me Really, I'm not that interesting. I'm kind of I'm I'm a white middle class bloke uh, who has had a fairly Careful. easy life. I'm still in the room, <laughs> but I, you know what I mean. I don't have that much to say as me. Really, I yeah. I kind of I uh, I could write jokes and I could be silly and I could engage an audience. I think and I sort of got more and more confident doing it. But really, I wasn't writing anything that. Uh, that I would necessarily sort of rate or go and watch, you know, I'd go out of my way to watch. So I kind of wanted to, I wanted to, well, I wanted it to be more of an experience, what I was doing. I wanted to uh, put a bit more theatricality into it. Mm. And yeah, I wanted something that, where I would chuckle to myself while writing those lines <laughs> going, I can't wait to see how this plays out in front of an audience. Yeah, yeah. I think in the early days, though, any laugh was enough. <laughs> and then I started to recognise... And, I, you know, I also started to, to play the moment more. And it's that thing, it's the reason that people go to live comedy, I think, rather than watching it on the telly, is mm. because they'll see that genuine spark and they will, when something, I used to go down up the creek quite a bit when I first moved to London and, and I, did, I did those sort of trial by fire Sunday night shows where it was, you know, the, Malcolm Hardy would let his mm. favourite hecklers in for free <laughs> and there was that middle section. It. God, yeah. And it was, it was fascinating because <laughs> you, they wouldn't, they would let you know if they didn't, you know, the taxi, Malcolm, they'd yeah. let you know if they didn't like it. And, and they would, baying for blood in that middle section of open spots on the Sunday night. <laughs> but it was, I also, um, around that time as well, I was, I think around 2003, 2004, I got given a pass for late and live when I was, I was helping an agent uh, up in up in Edinburgh, just, just kind of doing some open mic spots up there. And just, uh, and she gave me a, uh, pass for late and live every night, the old late and live when it was back down on Cowgate, and uh, I think it's like fiver to get in, and it yeah. was messy and it was grubby and it was uh, oh, it was just this bear pit, yeah. and so sort of having watched up the creek and watched things like that, and where the audience did have a certain amount of control over those gigs, it was really interesting to see how comics played that, and they couldn't just. You know, you certainly couldn't just go up and do a routine unless it was absolutely bulletproof. And yeah. even then, you know, there, there would still be people chipping it. And it, it, so just watching people play the moment, which really is, is clowning, is kind of... I, 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 I did my, my turn with uh, 
Philippe Gaudier mm. uh, uh, out in France and yeah. you know he's a man who detests stand-up comedy he's probably someone who hasn't seen stand-up comedy in about 20 years <laughs> but at the same time he, he made a very clear point that he he despised stand-up because you are making the audience vomit out the laughter that's how he described that you're pushing buttons and you're kind of and you go there you go pull that lever I know that'll get a laugh uh, you know Donald Trump <laughs> like Marcel was based Brexit. on him <laughs> well it's I, 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 I sort of saw him and went oh yeah that, that's Marcel's future right there there he is yes this jaded old man just hating everything but you know and his well the, the whole ethos of clowning really is, is, is playing the moment and enjoying the audience enjoying someone being in the shit but digging themselves out of it yeah. And I think uh, that those little sparks where that happens far more interesting than watching someone do their gags. You have to, uh, it has to be, you can't think of anything. It has to be on, on the spot and then you have to get yourself, you know, in, in shit and then get yourself out of it again. Yeah. There's all these sort of things that you have to be bearing in mind. And uh, is he there saying that was shit? Of course. Yeah, I mean, there was one very memorable one where he he reenacted, he got me to do my clown nightmare, which was him with a mic. He never had a mic before because he didn't need one. He's got this bellowing voice and tells you your shit. Couldn't know on certain <laughs> terms. But he had this mic on full reverb. So it's just echoing around this room of just, you are shit. No, this is bad. You are the worst clown ever and you have to reenact like all of the worst moments that you've had in the last month in his in his class how much is he well, paying it's... you for this course <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's that's the funny thing about it is that it's it, it may have this sort of elite reputation like oh you know elite clown core that yeah. he's producing but i mean there's no selection process you basically pay pay him money and you can go there so it's not like you've been selected as as a core <laughs> you know anyone can do it and it's i mean it, yeah it was it was really interesting. It gave me a renewed love for the stage, I would say. I kind of came out of it respecting the art of performing a hell of a lot more and kind of being a lot more discerning, I suppose, as well. And I kind of, I suppose now I'm actually a bit more direct with people if I think something isn't good. Like, you know, I, I think he will tell you, that basically, this is good or this is bad. Are, are we laughing? You know, are we properly laughing at what we're seeing on the stage? Mm. Or are we doing a little, <laughs> well done, you know, like encouraging you, I am not a nurse, I'm not here to get you through, you know, it's like you, you know when something's really, really funny because everyone is laughing uncontrollably and if it's not that, then you're shit. <laughs> it's that binary. That's great. He sounds like he's keeping the Malcolm Hardy dream alive. Yeah, I miss Malcolm Hardy, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he is sorely missed. It reminds me of, uh, yeah, I did that gig on a Sunday, I guess, and he, his whole shtick was, you were shit, however good you were, that was shit or whatever. And um, so I came off and he said, um, and he said, that was all right, wasn't it? And he said, and, and the crowd went, oh yeah, it was all right. And <laughs> then, he, then he undercuts it with, no, it was shit. And he gets a big laugh. Yeah. And I was sitting there and I think it was his wife turned to me as I was sitting there in the audience. And she turned to me quite calmly and went, you were shit. Lovely. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> just like, I does mean, this ever stop? I'm going to get home and just like, yeah, you were shit. It's, I mean, yeah. It's, <laughs> but it's beautiful. Looking back, it was like, you do need more anarchy. We need more anarchy. Well, do, and it's, it's, the, um, it's, it's a cliche, I think, to say it, but, but it's, it's only the tough ones that you learn from. You, you get that, that beautiful ego rub from a, from a, from a yeah. lovely gig where they're laughing at things that really you feel they shouldn't even be laughing at. They're laughing yeah. in between the jokes. You know, you go, great, well, I'm, I'm the funniest man alive. And you yeah. bound and you float home, you know, on the wave of ego. But then it's the it's the ones that are just the 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 kamikaze 
deaths that you kind of just feverishly on the train home, just, your brain is just, just ticking through, oh God, what would I have done here? What should I have done? Where did this go wrong? Did they not like me from the start? Oh, I started or I shouldn't have done that. And, you know, and, it, and that manic sort of uh, ticking in the brain is what makes you better. Yeah. Um, do, you have a, uh, do you have a go-to death story for yourself? I've heard some absolutely incredible ones over the years. Well, people have had to leave countries because of, uh, <laughs> because of death. Well, I mean, it's, it's going back to up the creek. I, it was my first weekend at up the creek as as as, as uh, Marcel. Mm. I nearly said as Malcolm. Um, <laughs> yeah, the spirit of Malcolm Hardy came and inhabited me. But I, uh, yeah, the Friday night was beautiful. Was was such a nice gig, and I sort of I thought, oh my god, I've done this. I've, you know, this is a week. I'm doing weekends at up the creek, and there, and it's, you know, the, the club where I would used to kind of come down and watch as an audience trembling and uh, here I was having a lovely 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 gig and you know 20 minutes of pure joy and then uh, the next night <laughs> I turned up I think England had beaten France in the rugby that day and they were about oh god how many of them were there about 30 men from memory just who'd been drinking all day in one big group, um, big South London types. And essentially, long story short, I got booed off stage and the booing, I think, started around 12 minutes in, I've got eight <laughs> minutes left, you know, nearly a, a half a set left to go. And I, and I, at the time, I was just like, right, just get through this, do your stuff. And I kind of just had to have this steely resolve to get through. I mean, that, that was the longest eight minutes of my life, I think. And I, yeah. God, I you just, did all your time. I did my time, and then and Jane, who's who, yeah Malcolm's ex-wife, then uh, was um, she wasn't there that night, but she got in touch with me a couple of days later, basically just saying, "Look, if that ever happens again, uh, you're too good for that. Just don't, just walk off. Sure, you're, you're you're better than that. You're better than them." And I was like, oh, "That's lovely." I didn't That's know nice. that was you know. I mean, not every promoter would say that. And to be fair, that night, that's exactly what Terry Alderton did. He was closing, and like Terry Alderton, one of the most bulletproof acts on the circuit, I think mm. you agree, he, I think he did about 10 minutes and just went, nah, fuck this, walked off. Mm. They were just that unplayable as an audience, and it was, oh, it was awful. I came off shaking, a guy squared up to me and just goes, that was the most unfunniest thing I've ever seen in my life, you cunt. <laughs> about, uh, you know, uh, yeah, about... 10 inches from my face. Oh my God. And kind of, yeah. And the security had to kind of, you know, get him back. And I just went up trembling to the dressing room going, whoo, well, what a difference 24 hours makes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Mm. So yeah. But at least you stayed in the country, so that's good. Yeah, I thought you were going to say at least I stayed in character, and I did, even when squaring up to that guy. I, th I can't remember what I think, I stayed in character, and he, when he said that line to me, I think I just went, good. And just walked up, but fuck, after that, the mask dropped and I just went to jelly. Yeah, oh God. Well, let's let's move on to different things because you're yeah. making me shiver now. <laughs> Story's coming back to me. You started it. <laughs> so as I say, there is a glorious experimentation in your comedy and you've, um, you know, I can't claim that the things I've done have necessarily been as successful as yours, but I think I have a real affinity towards you in terms of, what you've done over the years in terms of the different things you've tried. Um, so you, for example, in 2013, you did a show called uh, Marcel Lucan à la carte, where you were taking it to people's houses or wherever they requested you to <laughs> yeah. go, which sounds 
They bid <laughs> Sounds for me. glorious and we, awful. And we set up a bidding website yeah. where for ten da- there were ten performances and people could bid for me wherever and whenever they wanted, as long as it was within the walls of Edinburgh. And how was that experience? Where was the strange things you went to there? Oh my God, uh, there were some really odd ones. I mean, there's mm. one that I probably can't tell the story <laughs> of. Give us a hint. Was it dark? Well, it could have been potentially. It right. was. It, it was. Um... Describe something else, and we'll know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, it. Uh, it <laughs> was. <laughs> I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but no, it no. involves a large lump of cocaine, okay. which was handed to me as a bonus after the show. <laughs> um, That's coming. That's coming today. <laughs> it, it, uh, it was quite silly. <laughs> It was it was the furthest out I'd gone to do to do the show, and I took a friend with me every time, to, it, just as a chaperone. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was in quite a well-to-do part of of Edinburgh, and, and it sort of right. two and two was put together as to how that person could then live in that well-to-do uh, 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 penthouse suite. <laughs> ah, how many people it's what's were there? Stashed under your bed. Yeah, I mean, that, that was no. To. Maybe that's. I'll leave it there. But it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, it was. We'll get the it, idea. Was, it was a very odd. Yeah. But is that going back to feeding your soul? Is that does that excite you? The kind of unknown, not the cocaine necessarily, but <laughs> the unknown. What's going to be through this door? I mean, that is really putting yourself out there. Yeah, mm. I, I think I, I've become more and more experimental with my Marcel shows over the years. So yeah. and with my shows as well. To be fair, I kind of uh, like that year I was doing. I did that show, but then and was also doing a work in progress of. Um, Cars and Girls, which was my, which ended up being a fifty-five minute long poem. Yeah, uh, which was my favourite show that I've done to, to date. I think so. That year was very, very experimental. It was, it was going out on a limb, doing two things that I really hadn't sort of done done before all that much. Mm. Uh, but I kind of, I think I got so comfortable in my skin as Marcel that it, it felt like I had to expand it in some way, and I felt brave enough to go out and do that. Like I. I my whole trajectory as Marcel over the last 10 years has basically, it's been me attaining to be the, the character that, that Marcel needs to be, if you see what I mean. Like, I, 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 Marcel is this lofty, sort of haughty, pretentious uh, polymath, I suppose, or at least in his own head. Mm. And I, you know, I'm really none of these things I can't my, Marcel would look down very snootily on me I think because you know <laughs> he is a wine connoisseur he is a film buff he is a, a literary a genius he is you know all of these things and so I I kind of just have to more and more try to get to those lofty heights <laughs> of mm. this person that I've created oh, that's great so I saw your experimentation in action a few weeks ago I came to see you at uh, the brilliant Marcel Le Con Cabaret Fantastique we oui. Underbelly. We. Oui. So you were hosting that show, and in this you were uh, encouraging, very much encouraging, random things to happen when you asked for people's party pieces. Uh, and there was a kind of, I think it was about a two-minute period where nobody was... <laughs> And you just were relentlessly, no, there, there will be someone soon. But, you know, as the minute and two minutes became three minutes, I thought, what, what's your plan? Oh, God, what's was it plan? that long? No, maybe it wasn't that it long. Might it might have felt, been. But it was, it was you, you scour the audience once, then you say, and again, what, is there a plan if nobody, do you just then ditch that section? Or because it was my friend who actually, unbeknownst to me, started 
ferreting around in his bag and was the first to kind of break the ice. So he was. Yeah. yeah you, I mean, we won't talk about him, maybe, because <laughs> uh, I'm sure he doesn't want to be. But uh, do you have a plan when that doesn't... Um, well, usually, no up? like, something will happen. Yeah, and it did. Well, of course. After an hour. It was an uncomfortable yeah, yeah, hour yeah, of waiting. Um, but it's... Uh, <laughs> I like playing that waiting game because I like creating the tension. Yeah, it was. It was great. It's, again, a very Marcel thing to do, the silence and the tension. I, don't, I think we, 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 we fear silence so much. Yeah, it was society. silent. And my, my friend pierced that silence with, mm. I've got something. It was, yeah. And it's great because that gets, when it's been that long, it mm. gets a huge, you know, a, 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 the applause from the audience going, well, thank fuck, it wasn't me. <laughs> of course, yeah. you know, and, and, and it gets that, that lovely release, which is what mm. comedy is in its essence. But the, it really broke the ice because then we had, you know, hands going up, and this was the this was the third um, hand going up. Mm. And let's have a listen in to this clip just to give us uh, an idea of the atmosphere in the room. It was great. I'm going to bet everyone in here. <laughs> no, it's a strong fucking start. At least Kudasu said you. That no matter what your background is, no matter where you're from. In about 15 seconds, you're going to see something that can't be faked that will have everyone in this room clapping. Keep the dick in the pants. <laughs> That's a smart thing to ask in America. <laughs> God, that man was confident. My God. Yes. What he did was, was, a, was a bit of an Irish jig. I was, it was it, it was, was truly exciting. It was it was really exciting. It was like, what is going to happen now? Yeah, and he did a little. Uh, he did an Irish jig, and weirdly, I he he put something on Twitter the following day right. about how I went. I went along to the show and ended up being part of the show. You know, and hmm. and it um, turns out I looked at his profile, and he he's a uh, uh, one of the producers, I think, of Lord of the Dance. <laughs> Oh wow! So he sort of, you know, he, he learned from the best. He's a, he, he is a flatly a flatlyite, and he sort of, uh, yeah, you know, he. he I, I don't know where. I, I think he was a producer. He, he was something to do with Michael yeah. Flatley and Lord of, Lord of the Dance. He'd but been on stage before. People are obviously very fearful of failing on stage, and it's nice. He wasn't. He was not in any way, shape, or form. And you, but you say, what happens when no one does it? Well, usually I will wait and wait and wait. Usually someone will get up, but there are times when people don't. And then there is a long pause. And even I'm thinking, oh, God, what are we going to do here? And then yeah. someone will do something. Like someone will sneeze, someone will cough, yeah. someone will raise a hand or something like that. Yeah. And I will either then pick on that person and say, come up and do something. Yeah. And if they do, they do. Great. And, so, and usually they'll suddenly, that, that moment of panic makes them go, oh, oh, yeah, I can do this. So, again, I've heard you in previous interviews uh, getting excited about Andy Kaufman. And mm. he's... Uh, Alter ego, Tony Clifton. Um, I've been looking at a bit of that recently, the Jim and Andy documentary. Oh, yeah, it's and, fascinating. Um, well, there's a love for Kaufman. There's a love for anyone from that era who went out and created a genre mm. and who made something that wasn't there before. That REM line in um, Great Beyond, I'm tossing out punchlines that were never there. Yeah. You know, it's great. And, and Steve Martin, Billy Connolly, you know, back in the day, who sort of went from playing folk clubs and Steve Martin playing, uh, similar really, just, just, just playing little music dens and doing weird shit that then turned into comedy and the music was dropped. And, you know, it, it, anyone like that, 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 that kind of 
does something interesting and uniquely them. You know, mm. Kaufman is a fascinating character the more you read about him. and uh, he, But he was true to himself. He went out and he he did these these weird things that he was doing as a kid, reenacting uh, odd TV shows that he saw as a child or, or deciding he was going to buy the whole audience ice cream or cookies, you know, and, and, mm. and just play. Yeah, it's weird, weird stuff. You know, is, is this something that fires you in terms of creating something that's truly not been done before, something that's truly magical, a kind of one-off well, Marcel, Experience. I don't know, like, yeah, I think I, I used a band this year with Marcel and I, and I yeah. want to kind of use music a lot more and I want to try and do, next year's show I want to be a bit more experimental and a bit more, this year was Testing the Waters, it was, it was there were a few um, kind of uh, experimental bits in it, but mostly it was kind of stand-up songs, poetry, and it was quite, a, it, mainly because the show before had been so improvised, I wanted to do something that was a little bit more solid. Mm. But next year I'd like to do something a bit more um, of a format, I suppose, with it, but. Yeah, nice. So by ambition and legacy, I mean, you've clearly got a huge ambition in terms of what you're doing with your shows and the experimentation, and every year you're bringing out something. Is there anything over and above that that kind of fires you? I mean, we're talking about Kaufman there and the kind of magical nature of that. You know, uh, again, watching that Jim and Andy documentary, Jim Carrey talks about spirituality and kind of channeling Andy and looking out to the ocean and trying to channel Andy mm. and dolphins appearing. Yeah. And I think when you, when you think about Andy Kaufman and the way he died and all that, it, it, it becomes something bigger than just comedy and jokes and... Is there anything in you that wants to create something like that or? I do, but I don't, I think often that has to just happen organically. Yeah. I think it's hard to will it. Although that said, one of the, my favorite books I've ever read was um, the book on uh, Bill Drummond and the KLF by mm. um, <laughs> John Higgs. Yeah. KLF. Uh, yeah, magic music in the band who burned a million quid. It's called, and, and I mention it to anyone sort of who's interested at all in sort of comedy or ma well, magical realism is what it is, I suppose. It's kind of the the lengths that he went to to perform these rituals, I suppose that to try and invoke some sort of kind of spirit, I suppose. To mm. but no, that makes it sound more spiritual than it was. It's just. Oh, it's, I think Bill, Bill Drummond and Jimmy Corti had this natural talent, but they were also slightly insane with it. And, you know, the burning of a million quid is, is, is a, a really interesting thing because I think a lot of people say afterwards they really uh, regretted it <laughs> <laughs> for various reasons, for obvious reasons, but other reasons as well. And, and, but the, the, it's too long to go into, really, but the book, really, read the book if you haven't. It's, it's just, they're sort of, the way they dealt with the industry that confined their sort of magic, I suppose. Mm. That doesn't really then, answer your question in any way, does it? No, but I feel like you're channeling this in a way in terms of the more you experiment, the more different, because you're doing such different things every year, then what you're saying is something might happen. Something I might think, happen over I and think above what, what you're doing. Well, magic, you know? I, I, I think it, the way you say it makes it sound like I have a plan, I suppose. No, uh, I I'm, no I'm saying the opposite, really. I'm saying oh, okay. you don't have a plan. But no. Because you're... You, <laughs> but you, but you, I think this is why I have an affinity to you because I've done these things over the years where, you know, you mentioned Malcolm Hardy Award and things and I've, you know, I've been nominated there and it kind of fires me in terms of doing something a little bit different outside, mm. um, 
just telling jokes and uh, you know that's the bread and butter and then something might happen if you put yourself out there and do different things you know yeah i think so i think i've i've never never had a plan <laughs> for better or for worse it's just not how my brain works yeah. i i fear that i wouldn't stick to it or or that i would fail in that plan i suppose and so i just sort of i, I whatever comes into my head and, and entertains me that's what I go with and it's kind of something that I definitely picked up from uh clown school was was that it's all that everything is a game like you have to treat everything as the game but everything is a game so so when when he was sort of you know telling you your shit well of course sometimes he meant it sometimes it was just to push you to do to do something else or to get you into the zone and you know there's a really interesting moment where he would push and push and push this this poor girl who was who was struggling quite a bit with uh, with clowning and not getting much and and kind of very much in, i think in herself too much and think overthinking it and he got so angry in the final week of it and the rage just burst out and she was in this ridiculous costume with a red nose on with this genuine rage and it was it was hilarious <laughs> it was so funny and he got her to that point and it's like boom but there you are now you are funny <laughs> and this poor girl's not nearly in tears you know with incandescent rage and uh, but it was it was true and like that and there it was and that it was it was uh, and you saw actually then the change and that little spark of, of like, mm. oh God, the, yeah, these people, and, and it was, it sounds crueler than it was. We weren't necessarily laughing at her, actually. It was just the whole ridiculousness of the situation, looking at it as a whole, like, why are any of us doing any of, any of this? You know, it's all a game. It's all completely ridiculous. <laughs> and yet we've, 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 we've sort of put this meaning onto it that, 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 that this has to be something I have to uh, I, I have to perform in this way you know like, as I say his version of clowning very unique and very sort of um, unique to him and, and another moment where uh, he made a, a girl take her nose off she was doing a bit that was really making everyone laugh and it, but he yeah he just he says stop take off the nose uh, this this isn't clowning. This I is love something my else. expression. Take off the nose. Take off the nose. This, this is, is going to get serious. This is now. A, Take off the uh, you are being a lunatic. You are being whatever, but it is not clowning. Yeah. And that was really interesting. It's like, well, we're all doubled up laughing. <laughs> and again, it just even it, it just sort of undermined his his own rules in a way. Just like, oh well, look, whatever. You're part of the game. You're we're all a part of uh, you know like who knows what anything is. Mm. Let's, let's <laughs> <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> So apart from this guy, Philippe, calling you shit, uh, is there anything, <laughs> anything else that drives you forward then in terms of we're talking about this ambition? Is there anything that drives you? I've heard you in other interviews talking about a struggle to kind of better yourself. You've talked here in terms of you want to be as, what was really interesting, you talked about I want to be as good as Marcel kind <laughs> of can be or would want me to be. Um, well, is there anything particular driving you or maybe going back to your childhood and the things that you watched and being one of those one of the greats is there anything well i've sort of reached this very comfortable place which i think is actually <laughs> probably a little bit dangerous for a comic yeah. but I, I found this real comfort I, maybe it's from doing now 10 years of marcel and doing that very definitive 10-year show yeah. this year where i didn't have any pr uh through choice uh, um you know i had a band to pay and uh, and you know quite a lot of overheads and i was like oh, i just don't want a pr and i, I didn't really get I hardly got any reviews at all and there was a part of me that was kind of going oh, good you go past and you see everyone with all these sort of you know the big star 
banners on their on their posters and go, well, why is why none of the reviewers coming to see me? And then you know, I just kind of went, well, but all the punters are coming to see. I'm, I'm I, you know, better audiences than ever, and kind of, and it, it, that didn't matter anymore, you know. And, and so it's you, you sort of, I, it was nice. It was a nice feeling to have sort of surpassed that oh. and gone. And, remi- and reminding myself what, what I do it for and that of course we you know you do it to get uh, oh. people in to see it not to get one person <laughs> to give you a three and a half star review <laughs> you know well it wasn't as good as the, uh, I do it for the cocaine I don't know why you do it but. sure <laughs> but uh, so and also like I'm now at a stage where I'm actually you know I'm, I'm going out for beers with some of my idols like you oh. know Simon Munnery I can just have a chatting a beer with him in a bar and someone that I like but that was probably one of the first ever shows that I saw at Edinburgh Fringe was uh, League Against Tedium mm. which blew my mind oh, which, yeah, I saw that as well yeah. oh just wow and I sort of I remember going if I can ever be playing you know this size venue with a show that, I'm, that is this brilliant and I'm not saying any of mine are as brilliant as League Against Tedium I don't think they are that was such a an incredible show but uh, even just to be having a chat and a beer with Simon Munnery, you know, mm. who treats me as a contemporary. Yeah. That, to me, is, that, that makes it all worth it. And, it, and, and you know, and, 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 and various other comics that I've sort of, you know, that I completely idolised, that I, that, that I went, oh God, if I could even be as half as good as you, I'll be happy, that I now see as, like I say, contemporaries. I think that's a lovely thing. And I sort of, I think for a good few years, like a lot of comics, I had that, it, sort of imposter syndrome that, that a lot of people do seem to have of going I don't deserve this or I'm blagging this or I'm just oh. I'm, I'm someone pretending to be a comic because there's no pathway to it there's no kind of uh, set ground to cover is there there's kind of you, you go out and make your own thing and that mm. but I think for a lot of people that thing you are, you are always pretending at being that thing and then you so I've suddenly reached that stage of going no, 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 I'm a comic. I am, yeah. I do this thing and I enjoy this thing and I'm good at this. Does that kind of acceptance from heroes add, add to that and uh, complete that in a way, complete that confidence? That Massively so. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had uh, Marcus Brigstock sort of came in to see it this year and, and he, I, I sort of didn't realise he was in and he came up to me afterwards and was just sort of, you know, raving about the show. And I remember me and, me and my mate Tom, just sort of Tom Price, we were sort of going, watching Marcus when we were doing our little sketch, student sketch thing and just go, this, is, this guy's amazing. And he was yeah. there and he had these solid routines and he was riffing and he was super intelligent. And, you know, and just for, yeah, for, for, for again, someone that I was, as, as a fledgling comic, watching in, in awe, to have someone, to have him sat at the back of my show pissing himself and congratulating on me, at me afterwards and just, you know, giving out lovely praise about it and, and just things like that. Yeah, that's brilliant. Make yeah. it for me, really. Yeah, nice. Well, I have a final question for you, and it's yes. the most morbid question of all. It's a question Great. I haven't asked on this podcast before, but I thought I'd ask you for some reason. How do you feel about death? <laughs> Real death we're talking about. Does it's that... all part of the game. <laughs> that, that drives me on to a certain extent. They're kind of Really? I, I sometimes remember that I'm going to die very kind of regularly, <laughs> and that gives me an extra little, a bit of a push going, come on, it's all going to be over soon. Very morbid question, but does well, it drive you on at all? How do you feel about it? I suppose, but we're also in a uh, in an industry where 
you can keep on you can keep on going until you expire really you've got like how old's lynn ruth miller she's she's got to be knock, knocking 80 oh, of course but it's the expiring that's the end well the expiring <laughs> is the end but i think if you can say that you've lived a worthwhile life and mm. uh, played that game well then so does it not drive you does it not are you not thinking about it particularly at the moment i don't i think <sighs> Maybe again, it's a catharsis thing that I, I channel all my morbid energy through Marcel. Mm. But does Marcel think about death then? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think Marcel is kind of yeah. I think death is his nemesis. <laughs> I think Marcel sees himself as being uh, eternal, and will fight death to the last <laughs> dying breath. But um, so, are those your thoughts in Marcel? Are those are you using Marcel then to think about things that you're not thinking about as Alexis? Maybe. Yeah, possibly. But well, yeah, uh, that's interesting. You're channeling, maybe channeling some some thoughts. Look, yeah, maybe. I mm. I don't. I have a morbid sense of humour, but I don't. Maybe that's what what it is that I channel it through. That I don't really have a fear of death, and I don't really. Mm. It doesn't preoccupy my thoughts mm. too much. I'm just, I'm just Not get, your getting thoughts, on. But Marcel's, <laughs> but Marcel's, yeah. <laughs> it's constantly I have in a, his mind. I have a little compartment in my brain where all the death thoughts go, and that's Marcel's bit <laughs> that he's allowed. That's Marcel's annex. So yeah, the way you think about these things is it is oh, I you. Know. I but know. It's him. I know. Interesting. <laughs> what, would, what, what would Marcel I think feel like about? we've just opened an entire new uh, <laughs> hours podcast on the, the yeah. sort of yes. but it is interesting but, um, finally what would Marcel think about this podcast would he like it what would Philip Goulier think about it he'd think it was shit well because I'm not wearing a red nose he would yeah his, his <laughs> <laughs> well he, he would call anyone a wanker who is an, who over intellectualises things so this yeah. would be one hour of wankerdom for him <laughs> well I've stopped on the real wankerdom I'm going into that Jekyll and Hyde too much you know because let's face it we're just putting on voices and telling jokes aren't we we <laughs> oui. <laughs> Well, thank you, Alexis and Marcel. <laughs> De rien. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you very much to both of you. So that is our show for today. Join us again next week for more Psychomedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us, and only psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hanson, BA English for Pub People Productions. Theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychomedy. Please subscribe, rate, and listen back on all the great episodes so far. They're listed, and there's video clips also and more at psychomedy.co.uk. Follow us on social media at Pop People UK, at Psychomedy Pod, at Nathan Cassidy, and at Alexis Dubas, and or Marcel Lacan, depending who you want in your life. They are two very different people. <laughs> Thank you again, Alexis. Thank you, Marcel. Thank you. Merci, etc. (laughs) Lots of love to you all and see you again next week.